This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 52, recorded on the 24th of April, 2013. Today's topic, changing culture at camp. If you would like easy, automatic, and free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, the BlackBerry Podcast Directory, or the Stitcher app. Search for Camp Hacker. This week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by the Camp Owners and Directors Association. You provide quality camp experiences for children, helping them grow and gain independence. We help you achieve your vision. And by the Camp Hacker Evaluating Your Online Presence Report, an easy-to-understand measurement of your online marketing efforts. The EOP also includes a one-hour consultation at no extra cost. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I run a uh, blog about running a great summer camp at camphacker.tv. And my name's Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams Christian Center, which is a summer camp and retreat facility in southwestern Ontario. We're located about halfway between Detroit and Toronto. And I am Paul Sheridan. I run Four Winds Westward Ho, which is an independent, not-for-profit residential camp on Orcas Island in Washington State. Excellent. Welcome back, Paul. It's great to have you on again. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's awesome. I always like when you're here. Um, so today we are going to, uh, we may be joined by Annie Pritikin from Liberty Lake Day Camp. Um, there are probably some technical issues going on there. I'm not too sure. But uh, really what we want to do today is focus on um, changing culture at summer camp. And um, and this is an idea that I think you proposed, Paul, originally. Certainly you and I talked about it a long time ago when we put it on the schedule. Uh, we wanted to think about all sort of how we, how we do it well and why we would work to change the culture of a summer camp um, and what things would be important to change. And um, I, all three of us at one point took over an existing camp and, and had to... Um, to, had to bring our own spin on things and change some things as we go. So I think it's an experience that we have all shared. Um, it, it was a, is there a particular something in particular that happened, Paul, that you wanted to change, or are you just thinking about when you got to camp and and, uh, and started to make it your own? Yeah. So when when I came to Four Winds, I came as the assistant director uh, in uh, in the winter of two thousand four. So two thousand five was my first summer. Uh, we had gone through a, a period of uh, lots of director turnover. We had had a, a director from most of the 80s and 90s uh, who retired in 98, and then it took us a, a while. We had a, a number of two- and three-year directors before things kind of settled down. Uh, and, and as you guys know, uh, you have to sort of maintain your culture and pay attention to it. And, you know, if you, if you don't, uh, you know, our, our, our staff, our 19- and 20- and 21-year-old staff, uh, are, are absolutely wonderful and, and do a great job. Um, if, if without guidance, things do get out of hand, um, at least in my experience. And uh, and so we had sort of had that leadership vacuum, and things had gotten a little bit loose. Uh, specifically for us, I think in in the broad concept of you know, we had some staff that were kind of more there for their own experience than for the kids' experience, uh, and uh, there was. Um, uh, you know, different ways that that manifested itself. It's also a little bit subtle. Four Winds was still a great camp when I came in, uh, um, and I think, uh, or at least a very good camp when I came in. Uh, and and that difference between a very good camp and a great camp is is very hard for most people to distinguish. It's very hard for parents to distinguish. I think I think it's honestly very hard for summer staff to experience to to really distinguish. They sort of know it when they're in it. Uh, but a very good camp feels very good. It doesn't feel like there's a problem, uh, and so the, the culture change can be hard to um, to identify. So, so that I would say is the broad thing that we walked into, and then that uh, over the course of a couple of years, really, uh, really did change. Uh, and uh, uh, and I'm happy to talk about the ways that that happened and the different manifestations. Um, 
but uh, it was sort of only sort of in retrospect did I realize that we actually did a really good job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, but that's the the big picture story anyway. Uh, great, great, great. What's your big picture story, Joe? My big picture story is um, very similar. In fact, 2005 was my first summer here at Pierce Williams, um, and I came into a culture that was not uh, not all that it could be, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Um, camps, and that's not the first time. My, my bigger picture story is that in my first summer of directing, which would be 95, I was specifically brought on to bring back a culture that people believed um, existed beforehand and they had missed for a few years, but that was as a one-year director. In the summer of 96 and 97, I was at Stevenson Children's Camp, and in, in 96, it was very much a, um, you need to create a culture because um, they had one returning staff member um, out of 35, so it led to this. I was like, okay, and who's returning? Oh, this one counselor. Okay, so what's the program? They're like, oh, you get to make it. Um, what's the budget? Well, here's your budget and just work within it. And I was like, uh, okay. So, and there it was a matter of fixing something that had gone wrong, the same as the summer before that. And then the summer of 99, I was at a, a private camp up on Lake Tomogamy and it was very much the same thing. The director talked to me about challenges he had and, and things he wanted implemented. And that was my job. And then when I was, um, when I was at the Taylor Staten camps, it was, um, I wasn't fixing something, I was just, you know, maintaining something that existed and trying to make it better. And then when I got here, I was, it was, it was a fix-it job. And, and it's something as a camp director that you could move around the country or the, the world doing, you know, every few years, go to a new camp and try to put down the bricks to a new culture. But um, that gets tired at some point. And uh, for us, it's really about creating a culture that, that A, staff want to be at and that parents want to send their kids to and that kids want to come to. Um, because if, if, you know, if you have that great base and create this camp culture that, that staff want to keep coming back and that, um, that parents trust and that kids have a super amazing time, then, then it's not going to be difficult to, to keep filling that camp or keep increasing your camper enrollment um, and then figure out a way to maintain that culture and, and how you get that in place. Yeah. It's true, and, and um, I can think of a couple of, of mutual acquaintances of, of Joe's and mine who have been the sort of um, go in and fix the camp for a couple of years kind of people um, and, then, and then move on. But you're right, after a certain point you think, I don't want to do more than fix this, I want to take it beyond where it was at one point. I want to go, I want to take it into, um, into where it could be. And I know that um, my own experience as a director, <laughs> it sounds like a lot like Joe's first experience, which we've heard about on the show before. It's um, often humorous stories from Joe's first summer as a camp director. Um, but uh, <laughs> the um, my own experience as a director full-time, well, actually, as a first-time director, I was a summer-only director, um, and I was recruited to come into a camp um, and and fix it. They'd had a six years of declining enrollment and um, problems where the staff felt quite entitled and really weren't there for the kids' experience, like you said, Paul. And so um, it was a stressful, stressful first year. Um, that was after that first summer. I took a proposal to the board to return to a full-time director. They had tried to fix the culture problem within the camp by doing away with a full-time director and hiring only summer directors for a couple of years. And um, it, it really wasn't a way to sustain any long-term change. It was really just a way to get them through for a while. So I went. I took us back to a full-time director and, and changed things from there. And there are certainly things that we did on purpose. I was there for one summer before Beth joined me. Um, and it was a, really a matter of finding some priorities and changing it. And I, I would also like to, to talk um, after this about 
Um, changing culture once you've made the culture. Um, after 15 years at camp, there were things that we decided every summer we wanted to change, and we wanted to make things better for the kids and better for the staff, um, and would change things and bump up against the against the resistance from people um, on that. But in terms of my big picture um, story, I think that um, the first thing that was a priority for me was to make sure that things were safe. Uh, and um, and that wasn't always the case before. And the staff were young and green and hadn't had very high expectations put on them beforehand. So they didn't really even have, they didn't know that they're expected to do things safe or what safe meant. Um, and that was really the first thing is let's just make sure the kids are safe and hopefully having fun. And then we'll work on the above and beyond things over the years. Um, Paul, I'd like to turn to you now and say, in that, in that, what was the process like for you in starting to um, to build a culture? I think changing a culture is probably a misnomer, um, but really building a culture uh, at the camp. Well, so okay, I think you have to do a couple of things when you're, and like I said, I, I think we we figured out that we did this in retrospect. It wasn't super mm -hmm. intentional at the time, uh, but I think you need to do a couple of things. You need to talk about the culture, but then you need to look at the manifestations of the culture. The culture is what people feel about who we are as a camp, who we are as a community. Uh, and then the manifestations of the culture come out in actions. Uh, and there, and then when you look at those actions, there, there may be some uh, actions uh, that you just have to come in and correct you know, as an authoritarian. Just come in as mm -hmm. the boss and say, sorry, we're not doing this anymore tough uh, and I don't really care if anyone feels good about it. An example of that, um, what, uh, another camp that I worked at, the directors came in in their first year and there was a ceremony that involved the kids standing on the roof of the lodge with actual torches, like flaming torches. Uh, so like, they're, you know, like they had to kind of come in and say like, I don't care how anyone feels about this tradition, we're not doing it anymore. Uh, you know, it's physical safety of kids. It just wasn't, wasn't it was sort of a red line. Th that, that's totally legitimate. It's also not the stickiest way to change a culture. Uh, the, the stickiest way to change a culture is to get people to buy in to believing in why we're changing this manifestation because it doesn't match up with this culture of who we say we are. Um, and my favorite ways uh, uh, th th that those manifestations change is when uh, I just I don't actually talk about the manifestation ever uh, to uh, to any summer staff member. I just talk about who we are as a camp uh, and uh, and just talk about uh, you know and kind of you know people talk about great camps and every great camp is referred to as a cult at some point. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So a, a, a religion needs a preacher, right? So like, you know, like you be that that preacher for your camp and, and, and spend a lot of time talking about who we are, what we're about, what this thing is supposed to be. Um, and and then the, the stickiest and my favorite way that the manifestations change is when the summer staff realize on their own that this thing we're doing is not matching up with who we say we are. And they come to, they've, I've had instances where they have come to me uh, and said, hey, this thing that, uh, that we're doing yeah, is something that I think we need to look at changing. And something that, you know, maybe I, I, I've been, it's been annoying me for years, but I didn't feel like I could pick the battle. Um, and they're coming up uh, to me on their own and saying, you know, this is something that doesn't match up with who we say we are, and we think we, and, and we, think we need to look at changing it. And that's, so that, I would say, is on the other end of the spectrum. That's the stickiest... Uh, uh, way um, uh, for a culture to change is when it actually just comes from, you know, in a camp setting, I think, from, from the summer staff. Um, there, there's definitely a middle ground, too, where, uh, you know, uh, uh, you spend a lot of time talking about the culture, talking about who we are as a camp, uh, and, then, and then you do bring up that manifestation yourself and say, okay, this manifestation, uh, you know, doesn't work. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> Um, a, a great example, um, actually my predecessor fell on this sword for me, um, which I appreciate. We do a thing called Gypsy Jewelry at Four Winds, um, where uh, there's uh, different levels of, uh, of jewelry that people get that, that sort of uh, signify their 
continued involvement and increasing involvement with the camp community. Um, and we have a, a level of jewelry that is a, a ring for girls and a pin for boys. And it used to be that uh, you just got that whenever your peers felt like you were ready, uh, felt like you had really crossed the threshold and really fully invested in the camp community, you would get it. Uh, and you would get it, you know, usually in your second, third, or fourth year uh, was kind of the range uh, that, that people would get it. Occasionally someone would get it in their first year. Occasionally someone would get it in their fifth or sixth year. Uh, and, and somebody, uh, and those kids, I think, who got it in their fifth or sixth year, I, I think were legitimately wondering, what's wrong with me? Uh, you know, <laughs> like, why are my, all my friends getting it in their third year, maybe their fourth year, and it's year five and I still haven't gotten it yet? Uh, you know, and, and how does that match up with who we say we are? Uh, and so that was one where he, you know, and that was a big sacred cow. Uh, at Four Winds, that was a, a, a you know that's the other th the other sort of variable that I look at is okay, how inconsistent is this thing with our with who we say we are, and also how big is the sacred cow? <laughs> like those things are are, are 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 sort of important to look at, and uh, and that was a big sacred cow. He took that on and basically just sat down with every group that cared. Uh, and talked about how it wasn't consistent with our culture, and we moved to a situation where now everybody gets it in their third year. Uh, right. And uh, and I wake up every day thanking him for fighting that battle for me. Uh, but you know th that's sort of an example of that middle ground where you, you talk about the culture, but then you bring up the manifestation yourself. Uh, but I, I I like to put as much effort as I can into just talking about the culture because I think that that's really what you're what you're most concerned about. Uh, and over time. I've been amazed at what my summer staff have done, uh, you know, in terms of, of doing hard things, uh, things that are, are not comfortable uh, for them uh, in the name of our, of our culture. And I think, you know, it's sort of the core of it for us is what Kurt Pedeswa refers to as selfless selfishness. Uh, where if summer staff can discover that, I mean, which is basically why I'm in this business, you're sort of being selfless outwardly, but it feels so good that you don't feel like you're making any kind of sacrifice. You know, being involved in this, in this, in kids' growth and this magical culture at camp, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you do such good work in the world. And I'm like, I have the best job in the world. Are you kidding me? Like, this, this is, you know, I'm not giving anything up. Uh, and, uh, and people don't, you know, people need to discover that for themselves. It's very hard to just tell them that that exists. Anyway, that's a little bit. No, that's great. Fair. I, I know that um, there are certain things that, um, well, I, I mean, there are certain things like you, I mean, I suppose not like you, but like that story of the, the torches on the, on the lodge roof. Um, there are a few things that, that, that happen in the first year as a new director, or even sometimes things that you find out a couple of years in that have been going on that you just had no idea, and the, uh, filed under the category of, well, I guess I truly can't be everywhere at once. <laughs> um, but one thing that, uh, that happened in my first year um, was that, that just stunned me was that they would take... They thought this was a fun activity to blindfold kids, take them on a big hike through the woods, and then pour water over them, and that was called going to the falls. <laughs> it's also called and, waterboarding. And the, the, exactly. The first time I heard about it, I was like, I can't, I, I don't even, oh my gosh. And I don't even think I reacted that way. I was just so stunned. Um, and they just didn't understand why this was not a, a good idea. Um, so that was that was the, the one of the things I think of when I think of safe the culture of safety that had to be implemented when I got to camp. Um, Joe, what what sort of things? What were your first challenges? What were the first bites that you took out of it? I <clears throat> I had the unique situation to just start. Um, here at Pierce Williams, the first bite I took was in 2005, I started in June. And so there was already uh, camp people in place and whatnot, and, and I didn't hire any of them. So I let summer camp go ahead as, as it was planned, and um, all I did was control finances. So 
anything anywhere where money was being dealt with, I put that under control because that was one of the things that was amiss. Um, as far as changing the culture after that first summer didn't come back, which in fact works out really well for someone who is introducing a new culture um, and a culture of success, right? This is uh, years ago in 2010 at the Buckeye Leadership Workshop, I did a eight-hour session on creating a culture of success and, and uh, I was trying to look up the notes on it um, from then, but this idea that you're, you, you want them all to be pulling in the same direction, right? Um, Michael Brandwine does a talk where um, he should be able to go up to any of your staff members and they will tell you the exact same reason they're at camp, right? The reason they're at camp. And so um, the first things I did was the expectations, right? Making sure that the, the staff knew what the expectations were and that they were clearly outlined and that the rules were the rules. I'm a very black and white person and, and um, people before that would let would let some of the rules not be the rules because they were afraid of losing people and one of the things I've learned over years at, at summer camp is never to be afraid of losing people because if, if someone's not doing what they're supposed to be doing everyone else knows they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and when you get rid of that person everyone else will fill in will, will fill in where that person was what they were doing because they're just glad to have them gone. Mm -hmm. um, it took a number of years but but the the challenges had a lot to do with how the program was run, um, the expectations of staff and, and how staff interact with campers and how that should be the main focus of exactly what um, their summer is versus how they you know campers are campers happen to be here but I'm here to hang out with my friends right like that sort of culture is not is what I was sort of fighting um, last year was the first year so t the summer of 2012 was the first summer that I had uh, no one who had been here before me on summer staff um, so that was 2006 7 8 9 10 11 so it only took six years um, and but Kix, who was my summer director for three years prior to that, had been the only one for quite a while who who was left. So it's this idea now that that Jessica, who's our our camp director now, knows only what she's been seen under my leadership, and mm -hmm. she's seen people be left at the side of the road. She's seen our our valuation system grow more in depth, and our expectations of the staff, and that staff buy into the one line job description. Right, so. Um, to do what needs to be done to show the campers the most amazing summer camp experience. If if you can buy into that, it's going to be amazing. And we talk about that all the time. We we talk about the fact that you need to buy into this and you need to be amazing. You need to offer something of value to camp. It doesn't mean you need to be enthusiastic all the time and be that go-go person. It just means you need to offer something of value. So, you know, Jen Selke on this program years ago said that um, you know what the interview question she asked is what what do you why are you amazing why would a camper go home and talk about you and and that's a really valuable question to get people thinking about in in this culture that why are we at camp okay it's for the campers um, at, at Pierce Williams we have the other unique perspective where we have rental groups on site sometimes while summer camp is going on when I arrived, they they viewed rental groups as like the enemy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, you're you're at our camp. Why are you taking? Why are you, and I have really talked to the staff about the fact that the the reason this um, the reason this they're here is so that you can work, right? The reason rental groups are here is so that I can afford to pay you for the summer because summer camp doesn't make enough money to cover its own costs. So when a rental group is here, you need to be like, how can I help you? Like, it's awesome that you've come to experience Pierce Williams, and if there's anything you need, just let us know. And and our staff have really bought into that um, at every level, and I think partially because it starts at the top, right? It's it's more difficult when something, if you're not at the top and can't make those giant decisions, then you can then you have to be very careful about what you what you do. When I spent my time at the Taylor Staten camps, this was very much one of my first or second summer I had a buddy that you know Travis Sarge mm -hmm. and um, 
he kept he kept bringing up things about well that's not right why would the why would why would the owner make that decision and i was like i have no idea why the owner would make that decision is it a decision i would make if i were the owner probably not can i live with that decision sure right you know and and it's it's one of these things where it's very much i in those situations to it, the 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 goal and it's funny because i just I have a sheet. The goal is to affect positive change where one can, right? And and so if you, even if you're not in the position to to do the complete change, then then your goal should be very much this affect positive change where one can, which is um, which is on my getting things done. That's my that's my sort of purpose in life. You know, on getting things done, the fifty thousand level. Yes. Affect positive change where one can. All right. I actually, yeah. Joe, I, on my wall, I'm looking at it right now. There's a Venn diagram. One circle that says things that matter, and then the other says things that you can control. And the the overlap, it says what you should focus on. You know, it's right. a very similar thing. It's like, okay, what, yeah. what matters? What can you control? Focus on that. You know, and uh, that's very that's very funny. That is awesome. <laughs> um. I I know that there was a a point at which I think the culture became what we were happy with. Um, in a way, the culture became the culture that fully the culture that that we had put in place. And um, I've talked about it a ton on the show, but that really was the uh, the implementation of the 4S program. We really needed something so that the kids and the staff could make the decisions that we wanted them to without us having to be there. Um, and that's the point at which we started the, uh, training them on um, the 4S test for uh, to do anything at camp. You need to be able to answer yes to all four questions. If you answer yes to three, then you couldn't do it. Um, and, and those questions again are, is it safe? Um, does it serve others? So do you put others before yourself? Um, is it good stewardship of the environment? And does it build self-esteem? And we sat down once and, and played for a, a couple of lunches at a staff training to see if we could break the, the 4S test. If there was something that we would say yes to at camp that didn't answer yes to all four of those things, and we, we couldn't do it. Um, but having put that in place, we could focus on different aspects of the culture, safety first, of course, um, but then... Um, one of the elements, certainly the element that was missing in going to the falls, was the self-esteem of self-esteem of others, um, and um, and that helped us also break down uh, whatever hazing culture was left at the camp. Um, it wasn't a huge problem, but the LITs tended to get have stuff done to them. Um, but all of that was you mean the of, waterboarding was, culture? The, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, all of that was uh, it was uh, pivoted at that point, and, and, and everything changed. But um, and we did have a number of small changes along the way that we made um, that we thought. Well, one I think once you establish the the main theory or main emphasis of of your camp culture, then small changes along the way are are a lot easier, and. Um, I, ones that we thought were going to be a huge deal from one summer to the next turned out to be not a big deal at all. Uh, ones that um, we knew that we were going to have some struggle with, we'd have struggle for one summer, and then the next summer it would seem to everybody as if it had always been that way. And I think that's one of the advantages of our job as camp directors is that we can make change um, and take two months to make it, and then everybody goes away and comes back and thinks that it's always that way. It's always been that way. Um, because it's the only thing they can remember because there's such a big space between camp one summer, the change year, and then camp with the change in place. There's such a big space. It's, it's to our advantage. What, um, in what ways, Paul, I mean, you talk about not focusing on the manifestations of the change, but um, was there specific training that you did or time set aside to discuss it and work on it together, or how did that work out for you? Well, I think, I mean, uh, 
a couple of things. I mean, we, t we have a nine-day staff training. So, uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of opportunities in staff training to, uh, to just talk about why we're here. Uh, and that, that might uh, take the form of an actual session with a title uh, that says, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, for example, how we handle technology in camp. Uh, and, and the different sort of uh, uh, little facets of that. And we can talk about, okay, you know, who we are as a camp and, and, and so how do we handle this, this manifestation because of who we are. Uh, it might just be uh, you know, that we're having announcements uh, and, and there's an opportunity to, to talk about who we are uh, uh, as, as a camp. And I think the other thing about it, and, and, and Joe kind of re referred to this, I think um, that with respect to, to culture change um, and to talking about that, it, it is more than just talking about who we are as a camp. It's also living it and holding yourself to an obnoxiously high standard. Uh, you know, the, um, I, I, I've seen that in terms of, of implementing changes, um, you know, I can expect my, uh, my heads team uh, my, my sort of seasonal summer staff supervisor group uh, to uh, act, you know, maybe 90% uh, as well as I do. Uh, and, they're, and, and then the counters will act 90% as well as the heads do. Uh, which means that, you know, I got the counters acting about 81% as well as I do. If you drop either of those numbers, uh, then, you know, then the counters drop as well. Uh, you know, and uh, and so you know, it starts with you know, uh, you know, with the director or with the, you know, with, with whatever the um, the top level leadership team is, and uh, holding you know, going out and talking about who we are as a community, but but also just living it really, really, really strongly. Um, my wife, I, it, it, I she, you know, uh, for ages, uh, you know, we, we we work on. Uh, on relationships at camp, sex and relationships at camp is one of the one of the areas where we put a lot of effort into. You know, we're a co-ed camp, uh, and uh, and I felt like we'd be a better community if if boyfriend girlfriend relationships were not a focus um, mm -hmm. for uh, our fourteen and fifteen year old campers. Uh, and so, in order to get there, I had to talk to the summer staff. Uh, you know, if there's a lot of romantic affection happening. Uh, in public between counselors, then you're guaranteed to have it with kids. Like it's just, it's absolutely going to happen. Um, and uh, it, I used to drive my wife insane because I didn't want to show physical affection out in the camp community in the summer. <laughs> because, you know I, I, you know, I was like, I know we're married, I know it's different, but if I'm out there uh, showing a lot of physical affection, it's really hard for me to tell the counselors not to do the same. Uh, I have slacked up on that a little bit, uh, you know. Um, but um, uh, you know, but but I think holding yourself to that really high standard is uh, is a big part of it. I think you know, I read stuff about you know, just I mean, it, it's cheesy, but you know, the John Maxwell books. Like the guy knows how to lead people, um, and you know, uh, uh, you know, and, and 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 being that example, living the decisions that you make. Uh, doing what you say and saying what you mean, uh, you know, and, and, and all that stuff is, um, is important. And if you do that stuff for long enough, people will do amazing things for you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm at the phase now where, um, you know, in uh, two summers ago, we, we, um, uh, we fired four counselors uh, three weeks into camp. Uh, because they uh, they came back to camp uh, after having uh, been drinking on their day off, uh, and they actually had some some beers in the parking lot um, here at camp as well. And we found out the next day, and we fired them. Um, they were 18. Three of them were 18 years old, uh, and, and former campers themselves. And, and the next summer, what I went in and I, I said to the, the heads team is, you know, those guys were 18 and former campers. If they had walked into a culture which said it is, you know, Paul got up on the stairs and said, "Don't come back to camp drunk. Don't drink at camp," and that is a hundred percent what we do. Paul said it, and that's what we do. Uh, 
they would have never screwed up the way they screwed up. They were 18, and they loved camp. There's no way that if they had walked into that culture, they would have done what they did. What actually happened is they walked into a culture which said, you know, if you have a few beers, come back. Don't make a big, don't make a big fuss. Don't get caught. You know, don't, don't interact with kids. But, but you, you know, you're probably fine. That's the culture they walked into. And if we want people to not get fired in the future, we need to change that culture. Uh, and, um, and so we talked about that starting with the heads team. And to be frank, I, I had kind of low expectations um, for uh, my 21-year-old heads refusing to buy beer for my 19- and 20-year-old counselors. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, for uh, people having one drink on their day off and then paying to have a campsite and dealing with the hassle of, of sleeping off the property. Uh, you know, I, I honestly had... I, I was I was like I'm going to I'm going to pick this fight and I'm going to try to get there but I have pretty low expectations in my first year. I was amazed at what they did. I mean, they went around on the first day off, I had a bunch of heads running around and and saying, you know, people were, were going to have some drinks our 19 and 20 year old counselors were going to have some drinks and come back to the property and my heads team spent most of their day off running around the island telling people not to go back to camp because we were going to start camp off by having people get fired. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and they did the work for me. I was blown away by what they did. And, um, and, and I, I, um, and I think it comes from, you know, honestly, nine years now of <laughs> preaching the gospel of four winds, uh, <laughs> and living it as best I can, uh, and asking my, my team to live it as best they can. Uh, you know, and, and that people do these things that are, are kind of amazing. Uh, when you really think about it, it's hard for a college kid to stand up and do the right thing like that um, when it when it's unpopular, uh, and uh, and it, it's it's kind of amazing what they can what they can pull off. Well, I think the obvious outcome is that is that just the respect for each other and the respect for the place just grows, <laughs> even if it's hard, it grows. Yeah, absolutely. No, Joe, what's... and also their knowledge that if yeah, they go. mess up, it's done. Yes. Right. If, if they mess up, they're done. And 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 if their parents came to camp, and they mess up, they're not only messing up themselves; they're messing up their family's history at camp. Um, you know, part of this is when when you want to change culture as well, because you create a culture and and you get into it, and you're like, oh well, I'd like to switch this. So this past Christmas, I had a, a meeting with our leadership team for this year, and. And they said, well, I have this idea, but I, but we've never done this. And I'm like, whatever. Like, do what's the idea? Let's let's move forward with it, you know? Let's let's keep it going. And I said, we, we can change whatever we want. You know, as long as we follow the to do what needs to be done to show the campers the most amazing camp experience, right? And it's one of these things where letting them know that change is allowed is, is another part of, of being able to build in um, culture at camp. Um, Mike Sladen at Pathfinder years ago said to me, um, he, just, he just makes change part of the culture. He, he gets up on day two of camp at Pathfinder, or did years ago, and did his whole morning talk on... Uh, on how change is part of the culture of Pathfinder, which means that the next year when he changes something, all of those campers and staff have to be like, oh, well, change is part of the culture. That's awesome. You know, we're doing something new. And I was like, that is, that's brilliant. That is, that's amazing. And and I think that as, um, it's funny, the alcohol, drugs, all of those things, which um, remembering my time at, at Taylor Satin and, and other camps where that was a bigger issue, here it's just not something we ever deal with. And part of that is the fact that our camp, our staff go home on weekends, um, but part of it is also when it does come up, it's dealt with swiftly and 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 without any sort of qualms. So last year we had a CIT bring marijuana, and it, we found out that she'd brought it, and <clears throat> I literally walked over to her wagon and uh, with someone else, and we we literally I reached into one pocket and found. <laughs> the marijuana. It's not like they were taking big qualms to hide it. Either that or I'm just brilliant. And I said, you got to go home. Like there's no, 
there's no um, yes you can stay if this or no you got to go home and the same thing for us we had a another CIT this is during CIT training week um, threatened to punch another CIT in the face when they got home like over something and I was like that's once again that's not allowed that's that's bullying and uh, you got to go see ya have a good day you know like and the thing it's the conversations you have with parents and 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 Paul, those those three staff or four staff members, it's also how you what we're trying to create now that we've created this amazing camp culture and so many staff want to come back is that we simply don't have space for them all. So how do I make sure that if you were a camper for years and you loved camp, but I don't have a space for you, that you still love camp and you just realize that you weren't amazing enough at this moment in time and how do we you know, how do we make sure that you still love camp and you become a valuable alumni for years to come and you send your kids even though, you know, it was us, not you, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I couldn't it's, agree it's, more. It's, that's that, what we're working through now. I couldn't agree more that, you know, you, there may be leaders out there that can affect this kind of change <laughs> uh, without ever firing someone without ever asking a camper to leave. I'm not that good of a leader. Like, you know, like, I, I, like, like, maybe there's some person out there that can pull it off. But I, I do think that there has to be a, a, a red line. That red line has to be clearly communicated. And when it's crossed, you have to be willing to do it. And there's so many people out there. There's so, I hear so many stories about people that, you know, directors that, 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 don't ask the person to leave who crosses the line, um, and I think it, the other it, it goes in reverse too. I, I think uh, directors should look at their at their policies and the things that they say, and if they don't think that a rule should be in place, they should get rid of the rule. If they're not, if it's if it's an un, if it, if it's a rule they don't want to enforce, then one of the things you could, could should consider is getting rid of the rule. We had a rule when I came in here in our personnel policies, which said we discourage staff from bringing their cell phones. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I look at it, it was like 100% of our staff bring their cell phones. Are we just frowning at them all the time and like looking at them really sternly and we just really disagree with that decision? Like, no. Like, we have, we have a space where they're allowed to use their cell phones, the staff lounge. You know, let, let's rewrite the rule and say, yeah, bring your cell phone, but it's got to stay in the staff lounge or you can use it off the property in your time off. Like, let's make the rule consistent with what we actually want the culture to be. Uh, uh, but once you decide that the rule is the rule, then I absolutely agree. You know, you gotta you gotta stick to it. And and part of part of what makes this easier for me is the fact that you, the reason I have a summer camp director, and I'm an executive director, is so that there is a buffer between me and the staff, so they don't know how. Um, how black and white I am, and the summer director allows this um, this sort of buffer. So for the first three years here, it was my wife, and then for the next three years, it was Kix, and now for, this is we're on to to Jessica, and it's this, you know, it's just a buffer to make sure that the staff don't see me as the worst guy in the world, um, even though I'm the one who's controlling things from from the behind the scenes, um, and. And change when you know when you have those rules, you have to enforce them. If you don't, it weakens you and it weakens your leadership. And you said earlier, Paul, you don't know of someone who can lead and not fire. I sat in a session at the at the OCA, and and it comes to mind again. She said, you know, well, and I think I mentioned this on a previous camp hacker, Travis, but she said, you know, there's there's ten percent amazing staff, and then there's seventy percent who are, you know could go either way and then there's 20 percent who suck and that's where we spend the majority of our time as camp directors and then she literally said to the room well we can't get rid of them and I was sitting there thinking yes you can because I've done it I've done it and yeah. I have amazing staff and and my staff know that if you're anywhere near that 20 percent goodbye right so it's this idea as well that as a camp director um, it's having knowledge that you've created a culture where, where people will fill in when that need arises. And if you've created a culture like that, where they, they would rather see that person gone and they'll take on an extra task, you've done your job. It's, it's, it's the example I give 
of is your camp a pile of dirt or is your camp a bucket of water? Meaning that if, if it's a pile of dirt and you get rid of someone and you take a, a shovel full of dirt out, what's left is a hole in that pile of dirt. Nobody knows what to do with it. Whereas if, if you're a bucket of water and you take somebody out who's water, what happens? Water just goes back to being a bucket of water, right? Everything fills in and 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 it just keeps going. And and that's what we go for at camp. Is it's that's another uh, getting things done thing, right? Mind like water, right? It just should mm -hmm. it should just ripple off. So the other way we started to do you know, to, to solve that problem is we we just overhire. You know, yeah. like if it's a great summer and nobody gets fired, then great. We're a little overstaffed, uh, and and we have a, a you know a slightly bigger community. But but um, when I walked in here, we had uh, we. It, it was a, it was it was that sort of pile of dirt just functionally like if if you know it, it, there there was no flex in the staffing if one person got fired then somebody was going to have to do two jobs uh, or or your four people were going to have to do one and a quarter jobs uh, or that job was just just wasn't going to get done and so we started to we we built a little flex just so that we we're not facing those decisions of you know Yankee does not have a counselor if we fire this person. Right. Uh, you know, um, so that's great. Well, thanks, guys. I um, I shared some great ideas and, and lots of things for people to think about and and hopefully implement at camp this summer. I think that implementing a culture change of any point of any scale um, involves a lot of thinking about why and um, and being comfortable with your decisions and then communicating that. Um, in in as many ways as possible, and sometimes it means that it's a little rough for one summer, and then it's all fine for the next summer. Some of it some of it takes a little bit longer than that. Uh, I'm going to move us on right now to um, the last section of the show. I want to talk about our tool of the week. Tool of the week. <laughs> The tool of the week is something that each one of our panelists brings to the discussion that helps them be a better camp director. And um, I'm going to start off with mine, which is um, which is an iOS app called Swift, and it um, it's something that I think fits this time of the year for camp, where. Um, and this happens in my job, my now job outside of camp, but I can see how it would have fit into my camp life so well, where I'm either trying to... Um, it, Swift, what it does is it takes um, video that you watch on your iPad or iPhone, and it speeds it up without really pitch shifting it so that it doesn't sound like chipmunks, the chipmunks. Um, it, it sounds quite normal, but the, the, the spaces are cut out between the words. And... Um, it is something that I do, I've talked about this often on the show, I do it for audio podcasts and for books that I read, that I, I make them go at 2x speed, um, but I was excited to find that I could do this for video, because if I'm trying to learn something, for example, this morning I spent um, 45 minutes looking at Final Cut Pro videos, um, because I just downloaded Final Cut Pro for a project I have to work on when we finish this, um, when we finish this show, and by being able to speed things up, I was able to watch an hour and a half worth of Final Cut Pro training in 45 minutes. And um, I think that's an awesome thing to be able to use for things that you have to go through and, and, and do for training. So I'm afraid I don't know the price. I think it was four bucks for this app. Um, but to save me 45 minutes today alone makes it worth $4 to me. Um, so that's called Swift. I'll put the link in our show notes to that app so we can we can download it. And uh, that's my tool for today. Um, Pauline, saviors for last because I have some things I want to talk to you about about it. But Joe, what's your tool? Uh oh, well, there we go. Oh, screen share. Yes, I'm coming back here. Here we are. I'm back. Um, my tool of the week is something called Magic Plan, and this is uh, this uh, on the surface doesn't seem like the most amazing thing, but it is truly amazing. 
so essentially, it works on any iOS device um, of certain generations. So you'd have to look that up, but it's um, it's iOS at this point. So the iPhone 4, 4S, the new iPad, the iPad 2, and the iPod Touch fourth generation because it needs a gyroscope. And what it does, Magic Plan lets you take a floor plan of your actual um, place of residence and lets you create it by taking the camera and and turning with the the camera and marking corners and whatnot. So you can see here that it's uh, this is a some house somewhere um, that literally allows for and in French, which is great. Um, but you can see how the app draws this for you, so you don't have to do anything. You just point the app at corners. For summer camp, we, we're going to use it for updating website floor plans for our rental groups. We're going to use it for cabin, you know, the cabin layout for our, our parents because parents want to, want to see those things. And, and also just uh, there's, there's tons of things you can do to uh, put it on the wall so that rental groups know where the stuff where the chairs and the tables go at the end when they're done, it's it's a brilliant uh, app that can be used for numerous things at, at camp. It is brilliant. Do you know how much it is, Joe? It's free. Really? Yeah, it's free with a caveat. There's an actual, um, there's price, the plans themselves print off with a watermark. Oh, so okay. you, if you're, if you're going to use it, there's a, under the product page here, they have a pricing plan, and it's so much per, um, it's so much per plan. Like, I think $2.99 per plan. So if you were to do your house, you could do your whole house and then get it done, get it, um, get the watermark taken off in Canada, uh, while in the States as well, you know, on demand, it's saying $2.99 per plan. So, um, you can subscribe for a monthly thing, which allows you so many plans per month. But at camp, mm. if you have 18 buildings, that's uh, a bit of a. Mm, but I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out and and go from there because it's it's one of those things where having the floor layout in a fairly detailed with the right measurements as well is 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 something that you would pay a lot more than 2.99 or th you know three bucks for. Right. That's great. So they then email you a PDF version of the plan without the watermark? Is that what it is? Uh, no, you download it, and I think you pay per download. So gotcha. it's you can get it in PDF, JPEG, HTML, or DXF formats. DXF is for um, CAD and SketchUp, so you can just import it directly. Right. And SketchUp is important too. That free Google app called Google SketchUp that we've talked about a couple of times on the show um, allows you to do 3D renderings of buildings. You could start with um, these plans and it would then just sort of build up from there, but you've got the floor plan laid out to scale. It's pretty great. Yeah, as a reference, we a few years ago we had this done professionally. We had a a site audit done for Pierce Williams, and the total cost of the site audit was um, somewhere close to $35,000. So uh, $3 here or there is probably worth your, your investment. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and, Paul, you were talking about a principle instead of a product today. Yeah, so there's a weird little subculture on the Internet called Everyday Carry. And if you Google EDC or Everyday Carry... Um, you'll come up with lots of websites. And uh, basically the idea is, and so people pay a lot of attention to the stuff they carry around every day in their pockets, sometimes in, in a bag. Um, and, uh, and so people will go on the internet, they'll like lay out all their stuff on a table and they'll take a photo of it. And they'll, so that it'll be, you know, this is what I carry around every day. And it's, it's a weird little obsessive culture uh, and the internet tends to encourage these things. Uh, but uh, I, um, I don't know, it, it appeals to me and I have, I have spent a little bit of time Looking through everyday carry uh, websites, um, me too. And, uh, uh, and so 
for me, well, it's April, and so I'm sort of thinking of summer, and I'm thinking about a little bit my summer everyday carry, uh, which I have refined over the years. Uh, and uh, it involves, so at Four Winds, uh, we are, are pretty strict about the no technology thing, uh, and, uh, and I uh, follow that as well. I keep my, my phone, which is in my pocket right now, uh, in my house uh, during, the, during the summer. Uh, so, uh, and so all of my, you know, remember the milk, which I think was my tool of the week when I was a guest on the show, uh, which I absolutely live by, uh, in the, uh, uh, in the off season. I have to, you know, not use that so much anymore in the summer. So, uh, my everyday carry, uh, is a, a pocket watch because I hate wearing a wristwatch and I can't use my phone for my clock, uh, and a Moleskine, uh, Kaye notebook, which, uh, becomes my, uh, which is sort of the thin, uh, and slightly more flexible Moleskine notebook, uh, which becomes sort of my my remember the milk. Uh, a pen, uh, which I have a specific kind of pen that I like. Uh, my wallet. Wait, my tell key. us, tell us. Uh, so it is a, let's see, uh, I, I just have the office manager. A Uniball Vision Elite. Uh, they're nice. And they work, by the way, uh, you'll laugh at this, Travis. Uh, sometimes pl- uh, pens work badly on planes. This is specifically yes. designed uh, to to work well on. What kind of pressure? Uh, and yeah. uh, I uh, I fly a little bit, so um, <laughs> uh, so that's handy. Uh, and then uh, my wallet. Uh, I, I I probably could get away with not carrying in the summer, but for some reason I just can't get rid of it. Uh, and a handkerchief is the other thing. So it, the everyday carry thing, it, it kind of thinking about what you carry around every day. It. It makes you feel more prepared for the day. It makes you feel sort of lean and mean, like you're out there to, you know, get things done. Uh, and uh, um, and you and you find yourself, uh, you know, th- those things that I carry around every day are all related to a problem that I'm likely to run into when I walk around camp uh, in the summer, uh, and and to help me solve those problems better. And uh, it helps me feel more organized and uh, in control and ready. Uh, so it's uh, it, it definitely appeals to a certain mindset, but. That's my mindset. It is a mindset that you and I share, and I think Joe has touches of it as well. Joe <laughs> looks a good tool discussion. <laughs> the, the idea of everyday carry, is, of actually trying to track what is in your... I don't think about it. I have a buddy, Chuck Worth, at Camp Palmer in Ohio, who every morning... And I see him at uh, Buckeye Leaders Workshop, and I and I see him at meetings, and he has enough stuff on his belt. And he's a very tiny guy that I swear his belt weighs half as much as he does. And he's got – I'm looking. I had never – this is the first time I've ever heard of this concept of everyday carry. What I'm getting by Googling everyday carry and looking at the images is there are a lot of people who carry guns every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yes, that sticks out as a <laughs> this this seems to be a, a very much when I look at these pictures I think to myself oh these are these are like survivor type guys these are people who who want to be ready in any situation it's like my wife forcing me to take candles in the car just in case we get stuck and I need a candle in the car and I'm like I'm pretty good without the candles yeah, no, no, no. in there, the car a, a... my my mother there's, a, there's two subcultures sort of in the everyday carry world. There's definitely sort of like the tactical survivalist uh, group for sure. Uh, and I think it seems like there might be a lot of cops and ex-military people involved. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper, there is just a like a, a nerdy design focused uh, group uh, as well that is, is really concerned about exactly, you know, what kind of, you know, what, what is the slimmest wallet that you can possibly buy uh, and uh, you know, and how much memory can you get on your keychain, and so forth. <laughs> uh, there's 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 two groups, but the but the gun group is definitely there. But I, I don't carry a gun on the Can you say well, that as an American and actually get away with it? Come on. <laughs> you know, I live off an, on an island off the west coast. It's barely America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, <laughs> Paul. The uh, the two things that I, I think this is is this the size of notebook that you that you carry this Moleskine? Yep, that's exactly it. Yeah, yep. see mine molded to my bum. 
Yep, yep. <laughs> in my back pocket all the time. Yeah. Um, and I've said this on the show a number of times. It was my expectation that people would have a notebook with them at all times. Um, and I would, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Um, and I was talking about this at the Mid-States conference that um, I uh, would give them a, a binder clip full of recipe cards um, at the beginning of the year because then I would at least say, this has to be there or some notebook, I don't care. But here's uh, here's what the pen I carry now. Um, I used to have this one that was on a string that I saw Joe had first that it was small and would expand out, but it's kind of fat, and I actually wore it on my... On my necklace for a while during the summer um but then i it was just weird um so i have this one which actually writes really well it's just a ball pen a ballpoint it's from um zebra brand but it will um expand out to the size of a normal pen so i keep them in my right front pocket all the time um and it uh has helped with my everyday carry cutting that down i used to have a cheap (laughs) plastic pen that i would buy by the box and break them all summer long but this one seems to last a little longer. Yeah, I I, uh, I guess I'm part of everyday carry. I got a Levenger wallet. Yes. And it's got everything, you know, from the pad to the, there's a pen in there. I used to have that exact zebra pen, Travis, that would yeah. expand out. In the Levenger wallet, it broke, though. It kept breaking, so I ended up going and buying a cross pen, just a like a, a $15 cross pen. And... Um, I, I guess in the summer, like at the end of the day when I unload my pockets, that's when I should really think about what my everyday carry is. And, yeah. and I've tried to be conscious, um, getting more into getting things done. And, and um, when I walk into the house, I put things in specific areas, right? So the keys get hung up. My my rings and my watch go into the um, go into my uh, an old wasabi peas container, which I store stuff in and. Um, and my change goes in there and whatnot. So it's it's yeah. I think about it, but I don't think I don't think about it the way that you do, Paul. I would be interested in knowing what pocket watch you. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, it's it's it is a uh, it's a cheap uh, Swiss Army uh, pocket watch that I, I just bought uh, uh, online, and um, I think it cost me you know thirty five or forty bucks. And it has a it's a string. It's not like a fancy chain. Um, and uh, but I actually use yeah. it so much that um, uh, that the battery finally died on it. It's a it's a it's an analog uh, battery watch, and uh, the battery finally died. And of course, it sits on my dresser all off season. And then I picked it up, you know, on the first day of staff training, which is sort of you know a, a little bit of a ceremonial moment for me. Yes. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, and the watch was dead. Uh, so I had to go. Uh, so I actually. Found a watch repair guy in Seattle that would uh, that would do it that would replace the battery by mail. So I think I'm the only guy that bothered <laughs> to have the battery changed on a $35 watch. Uh, but that was my that was my summer watch. I didn't want to have to buy, go buy a new watch. I'd much rather pay 35 bucks to have the battery yeah. replaced than pay 35 bucks for a new watch. <laughs> Coleman makes a a pocket watch on a carabiner that I've used in the past. Oh, gotcha. um, but now I do carry my I carry my phone around camp, but so uh, yeah. Gotcha. There you go. Well, listen, guys, this is a great show. I'm going to wrap us up at this point. Um, Joe, where can people get in touch with you or find out what you do in the world? They can find out more about Pierce Williams at campisbetter.com. Uh, life is good. Camp is better. Um, they can find they can follow me at yoyo joar on Twitter, um, and they can. Always go to yoyojoe.com um, to find out all of the social media stuff on me and um, how little of it I do right now. <laughs> this time of the year. Right. Paul? Ah, just, uh, I just, I've lost interest. Oh, sorry, Joe. <laughs> uh, people can find out about uh, Four Winds at fourwindscamp.org and all of our uh, social media links. They can find all that stuff plus all of my personal stuff at paulsheridan.com. Amazing. Thanks for, for joining us, Paul. We really appreciate it. And I got to say, every time, I, I like that we're doing this this time of the year because when we had you on in the winter, it was just dark at your window um, yeah, for the whole bit, thing. But this is now. such an, nice. an amazing view of the West Coast with the green <laughs> and the rocks, and it just makes me want to be there. There you go. <laughs> that looks amazing. I thought, it, I thought it was a poster. I thought it just matched the poster on the other side of you. <laughs> 
That's a great view. Thanks for being on, Paul. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Uh, anybody can um, can find our show notes for this show and other shows, the other 51 episodes that we've done, um, at camphacker.tv slash podcast. Um, you can also subscribe to this, the audio version of this show, in iTunes, the Stitcher app, or any other things like the BlackBerry app, etc., um, you can find us on, and listed on all the major podcast directories. Um, we hope that you, if you are listening to the show instead of watching it, that you also check out the versions. We uh, try to do this live and let people know that they can watch us live. Um, and you can see that at youtube.com slash user slash camphackertv. Um, so in whatever way you watch or listen to us, we do really appreciate it. Um, keep in touch using at camphacker on Twitter or email me, Travis, at socialcatalyst.ca. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Building great camp community at camphacker.org.